0: This is Meditation Inspiration. I'm your host, Mindfulness Meditation teacher, Katie Austin, and this podcast is here to inspire you to either start a meditation practice or to keep one going. I've got real life stories from meditators from around the world to inspire you with your practice. I'm so happy to have you here. Hello everybody, and welcome to episode four of meditation inspiration. Oh, I have got a treat for you today. I have an interview for you with the incredible Martine Bachelor. Martine is a meditation teacher, retreat leader, and she was a Buddhist nun in Korea for 10 years before coming back to live with her husband, Stephen bachelor in the UK. And she's had quite an incredible life and she teaches with so much humour and clarity and pragmatism and she's just one of the most impactful teachers I have had the absolute privilege to be on retreat with. So my first meditation retreat was with Martine and another incredible teacher called Chris Cullen. And yeah, it's a very, very fond memory and it was a big turning point for me in my life. And I'm just so thrilled that you're going to get to hear Martine's words. I wish you could see the video of me when we did this interview because I was just grinning ear to ear through the whole thing. It's so lighthearted and, you know, when, when mindfulness can sometimes, meditation can sometimes feel a bit serious. I think Martine's teachings always just bring things back to life in a in a light also very real and um, practical way and Martine was actually born in France and and then went out to Korea and and became a nun in her 20s and yeah and came back to England to live with her her husband uh, Stephen Batchelor who she met in the monastery which is another great story but we don't get to it. Oh, we're well, going to have to get her back on again. Um, she's just got so many great stories. But um, Stephen Batchelor is also a very renowned meditation teacher in the world. And and yeah, they now live in France. And uh, Martine does come over uh, to to the UK to teach at um, the Meditation Centre Gaia House that I've mentioned in previous episodes in Devon quite frequently. And yeah. I'm oh, just so excited for you to hear this. So without further ado, here is Martine Bachelor. Hi Martine. Hello. Hi. So lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for um, saying yes to an interview. Um. So yeah, I mean, it'd be lovely to know where are you in the world right now?
1: So right now I am uh, at home. In France, it's uh, the southwest of France, near Bordeaux, in the countryside.
0: Oh, beautiful! Yeah, and um, yeah, and I'm. So we're we're online on the wonders of Zoom today, and I'm I'm in Cornwall uh, in uh, the UK, and yeah. So I mean, Martina, it'd be great if you just dive straight in, and it'd be wonderful to know kind of what inspired you to first start um meditating where where did it begin where did it begin for you
1: so um when i was uh, young um from 18 to 22 i was uh, i left home i did not really go to university and i was looking a little bit for something and then actually I read a book uh, because I was more politically involved at the time and kind of thinking of changing the world and thing of that nature to make it more peaceful, etc. And then I read the, somebody had a Pada in their house. Mm-hmm. And then I read the sentence in the Pada which said that before you change others, Maybe you should change yourself. And I thought, hmm, that's a good point. You know, if I cannot stop myself from being jealous or angry or self-centered, am I going to kind of, you know, inspire other uh, to not be that and not to be harmful? And then from then on, in a way, I left uh, more or less politics behind. And then I became interested in meditation. But this was in 1973, uh, 74, so there was not much going on. So I was looking around in France, in England, and you had a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So I tried different things and nothing totally kind of gelled in a way. And then I also wanted to travel. So then I went traveling, going through various countries, and then I ended up in um, Thailand. And then I met by accident Korean monks who said there was lots of meditation in Korea. Oh, wow. And since I was already interested in Zen meditation, I thought, let's go there and see what there is. So I just was going there for a month, because I just had a little money left. Mm. And then I end up in Korea, I go to this nunnery where nobody really spoke English or French. They send me to the only temple. There were some foreigners in Songwangsa in South Korea, in Cholanomdo. And then I arrive there. And then there is the biggest ceremony of the year. You have hundreds of people and immediately I go to help in the kitchen. And then, as we kind of cutting some kind of spinach, kind of uh, thing, with another lady, we we managed to understand each other. And she said to me, "What do you do?" You know, Mm -hmm. she said, "You know, are you married? Do you have children? Are you studying? Are you working?" Et cetera, et cetera. I said no to all this. Mm -hmm. And then she said, "Why? If I was in your situation." But she was 40 then. I was twenty then. She said, oh, if I was in your situation, I would become a nun. <laughs> thought, That's not a bad idea. Because what I realized, actually, is that in the three years I, I left home, I was doing kind of different things in England, in France. I kept seeing myself making the same mistake. Mm. And also one of the things I saw was like I was traveling in Nepal. I was in a bus and I was in from Pokhara to uh, the capital of Nepal. And this long journey by bus, beautiful journey. And the whole time I was just thinking about, did I have enough money? Mm. See that because of all my thought, I could not really kind of in a way be there. And so through this kind of three years of although I'm living freely with different friends and things like that, I could see I was again and again making the same mistake causing the same suffering. And that's why I thought that in a way maybe meditation would help me. And so when this lady said, oh, if I was you, I would become a nun, I thought, why not? this maybe will be an opportunity to practice meditation. And then I thought more like a year or two to see how it was like and everything like that. And so then I uh, said I wanted to become a nun, they accepted me, and then I started to meditate. Mm. And then I was very lucky because in Korea you really can do meditation, really. Like, you know, you meditate three months, Of uh, twice, three months of the year, 10 hours a day. So you really kind of, you know, you really meditate. And so I was very lucky in a way to find uh, like one of the best places to meditate, especially if you wanted to meditate intensely. So I went from not being able to sit for 30 minutes, (laughs) like in Thailand, because I was in Thailand, I went to different temples, I did a little meditation and then, you know, 30 minutes, and I was like, oh, this is painful to actually going to doing it 10 hours a day, getting up at three o'clock in the morning, going to bed at night. And so then I had to kind of like move from, oh, meditation is a good idea. Why not do a little bit of it and keep it comfortable, but not much happening Mm -hmm. to diving in But then diving in 10 hours a day was fairly painful. And then again, as I was doing my 10 hours, actually was not. At the beginning, I would just kind of do the first session, then leave, come back for the next session of the next block. Until the master came and saw me not coming back (laughs) for the session of one block. And then he said, you know, uh, you need to bear beyond strength. And then I thought, nobody died of this. They've been meditating like this for hundreds of years and nobody died of Mm -hmm. meditating. So then after that, I was always on time. I was always doing the hours. Mm -hmm. And then two things happened which really showed me this work. And then the the first one was kind of suddenly sitting in meditation and seeing my thought, but really seeing my thought, not being taken by them. Mm. And then I I saw the thought, and I saw that all my thought was about me. Because, you see, up to that point, I had this kind of big kind of thing, kind of what I call heroic fantasy, wanting to save the world from the age of 12. kind of, you know, I always think of others before myself. So I was a little bit in this fantasy. Mm -hmm. And then sitting there in meditation and seeing, actually, I am fairly self-centered. You know, at the time I would have said 95%. And the beauty of the meditation is that when you see something like that, instead of feeling, I am a terrible person, I'll never get there. I thought this was so funny. You know, I had such a misconception about myself. So that was funny. And also the fact that, oh, that's what I need to do. In a way, I need to diminish to some degree the self centeredness. Mm. And so I could see the point of meditation, in a way, making you aware of what's going on and at the same time dissolving the pattern which generally creates a suffering for self and others. Mm. the other thing that happened is that one day during the free season, I was in a, in a bank changing money. And then the bank teller gave me too much back. He miscalculated. And my first thought was more for me and good against a banking system because mm. I've been always an anarchist. And then I stopped myself. And I thought, I cannot take this money. And this guy is going to get into trouble for miscalculating. Mm. To my surprise, I returned. I told him the mistake he made. I gave back the money. He gave me too much. And then I really saw what true compassion was. That actually you thought of the other As much as yourself. Mm. It's not that you thought of the other more than yourself, but you thought of the other as much as yourself. So it was not just about you, but as much about the other person. So these two things kind of showed me, oh yeah, this meditation, it works. And so in that way, I stayed for 10 years as a n in the temple in Korea. So that's the way I started. And we could say I continued my meditation trajectory from about 22 to 32, 75 to 85. Wow. Yeah. I mean, such a
0: to really dive in in that way. It's just so interesting to hear about that experience and the challenges that kind of came up within that and. I love that. I was saying, you know, actually, nobody's ever died from meditation. It's um, Because it is difficult. It's really challenging, especially at first, isn't it? And it can put a, a lot of people off from carrying on. Um, yeah.
1: And I think that's why, in a way, when we start meditating, I think we have to see that In my days, I mean, this was in the 70s, there was very Mm -hmm. little Buddhism, there was no mindfulness movement. Mm -hmm. And so what we encountered was very traditional and at that level was very deep, very wonderful. And Mm -hmm. so in a way, you needed to fit within those circumstances, which at the time I could within my Mm -hmm. life. But nowadays in 2023, I mean, of course, you can still go to Korea and you could Mm -hmm. still become a nun or a monk and do the same. But in a way, what one has realized over time is that meditation can be of benefit and that you don't necessarily, in a way, need to become a monk or a nun. Mm -hmm. You don't need to do it like like a professional. What I did was, in a way, I did it like a professional. Instead of going to university, I went to a monastery. But what I realized teaching meditation to people uh, in England, in Europe, in different countries, is that at one level, and that's what's beautiful about meditation, you don't need much to have a certain effect. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have to be careful to not believe that meditation is magic. And it will be suitable for everybody to the same degree, not. I think we have to be very clear that you have meditation, you have different type of meditation. Meditation can be useful for certain people, maybe not so useful for others. Also, there are different types, which might be more useful for some than others. Also, one has to be careful of emphasizing sitting meditation. Because in Mm -hmm. a way... I would say my main difficulty at the beginning was actually being being able to sit on the floor in the half lotus position. Mm. You know, I mean, nowadays, this is not obliged. Nowadays, you can, like when I teach retreat at Gaia House in Devon, for example, you can sit on a chair. Yeah. In those days, you would not have thought. <laughs> you know, in Korea, you don't want to, to sit on a chair. This was like, you know, everybody was on the floor anyway. Yeah. So it was a different culture. Mm-hmm. So in a way, if if you have meditation in the modern world, because I think now things are different a bit everywhere. Mm-hmm. In a way, meditation is not an end by itself. You mm-hmm. need to be a meditation specialist. But what, in what way, can meditation help you? And in a way, what is your intention? I mean, my intention always has been to develop wisdom and compassion. And so in a way, as I cultivated meditation in Korea, I could see, in a way, my objective up to a point being kind of fulfilled that I was becoming, it seems to be more clear, I was becoming more compassionate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So in a way, this is the same for people nowadays in their busy life. In a way, the question is how can meditation help them if it can help them? Yeah. I think it can help in different ways. And at the same time it's not necessarily suitable to everybody for the same degree. Mm -hmm. And also there are so many different ways to do it.
0: Yes. Yeah. Really important and point around it. It isn't yeah it isn't it isn't magic and it isn't for for everybody and there are lots of different ways to to practice that might be more suitable for some than others um yeah so important and and i mean what what's you know when you came back from from korea what supported you to kind of what do you think was your was it different kind of did your did your practice kind of change were there new challenges that came up for you new supports that were needed
1: well it was kind of like an encounter you could say Mm. uh, encounter of tradition encounter of culture Mm -hmm. because I really was kind of trained in the Korean song tradition in Korea in as a monastic. And then be, I left Korea, then I uh, disrobed. So I was not a monastic anymore. Mm-hmm. I became a lay person. And then I came back and lived in a somewhat Buddhist community in England. So I did not kind of just without anything, yeah. ended up in this again, very lucky to be in the, what was the Sharpam North community. Then you had the Sharpam North and South community. Mm -hmm. And then we had this wonderful man, Maurice Ash and his family, who really supported the community, thinking of a new way of living, which Mm -hmm. could contribute in many different ways. So we joined that community. Mm -hmm. So in a way, the first, you could say, change was moving from being a monastic to being a lay person. Mm -hmm. That was kind of like a shift in a way. Then the second one was as a monastic, there is a whole area of your life you don't take care of, you don't experience really, which is relationship, romantic Mm -hmm. relationship, because in Korea they are celibate. And so for 10 years, I really did not have to uh, to worry about, you know, kind of attraction or thing of that nature. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, after I disrobed, then uh, I married my husband, Stephen Batchelor. Mm -hmm. But even then, being, you know, in a couple, being together with somebody, uh, at one level, it was so strange. I felt emotionally, although I was 32, I I felt emotionally I was 22. Mm-hmm. so for the first month few three months you were like this is for so much <laughs> and kind of you know all many different things coming together because as a monastic you have a role you have a place there is a hierarchy. Mm. I mean it's really very well set up very well supported and here you are in a such a different context so I had to adapt to this different context and then after three months, I thought, wait a minute, I've been practicing for 10 years. Can't I apply this to this situation? Mm-hmm. You know, it's what I call in a way nowadays creative engagement yes. with what happened in life. So from then on, then I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to apply this to my daily life, the wisdom, the compassion I developed, the practice I've developed, you know, being a house cleaner and being in a couple, but living in community, you know, everything is part of the training, is part of the practice. And then at the same time, at the time, I mean, and still now, Korean Sun Buddhism is not so well known. And uh, everybody around us was doing insight meditation, what is more called mm-hmm. nowadays mindfulness meditation. And then I thought, oh, I'll try this method. So I did a few retreats uh, as a participant, and I thought, this is such a good method, Mm -hmm. very interesting method. I also saw point of convergence in terms of why our teacher, Kuzan Sunim, used to teach about Samatha Vipassana, Mm -hmm. seeing investigation, that actually when you meditate, these two qualities have to be cultivated together. And so in a way, I realized that you have many different methods of meditation, even within Buddhism. You have Tibetan, you have Vietnamese, you have Japanese, you have Chinese, you have Korean, you have Thailand, you have Sri Lanka, Mm -hmm. you have Burma. You have many different types. In these modern times, when you have all kinds of method, all kinds of tradition meeting, for me, they're not opposed and they're not in competition the teacher is what will suit who because i mean one of the thing most people teach nowadays is mindfulness of the breath
0: mm-hmm.
1: but actually mindfulness of the breath might not be best for everyone some people they try mindfulness of the breath it makes them more anxious yeah then for them it might be better to do mindfulness of listening to sounds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then. I personally feel mindfulness of listening to sound is fantastic, but I don't have tinnitus. If somebody Mm -hmm. has tinnitus, is in the silent room, I would not necessarily recommend it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to me, the point of a teacher is to be skillful. Mm -hmm. The point is not so much the method itself as a dogma. This is Mm -hmm. the only method But more, the point is to cultivate focusing and investigation,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: whatever suits the person, so that they can develop more wisdom and compassion, Mm -hmm. and that there are less harmfulness. So in a way, I think kind of it's a tool. Meditation is a tool, you could say, for kind of a wider, greater purpose, one could say.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, you've just answered my next question of what what would you um you know advice you would give to someone who was starting meditation and and just to know that you know like you've said that there's there are lots of different styles and 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 types of meditation to tap into and and yeah.
1: Well, I think it's really sometimes a question of encounter. Yeah, near you. I mean. Yeah. The thing that has happened with, uh, I mean, the COVID uh, situation was really terrible in many different ways and caused lots of harm. And at another level, he made everybody use internet, Zoom, and different platforms. And so nowadays, uh, you actually have so much possible that it'd be in person. Yeah. And that it be on the internet or that it be through apps. Now you have lots of also meditation apps. Mm-hmm. So again, I think is what works? What do I encounter? What is possible for me? If you're in mm-hmm. London, for example, in England, or in a big town, then you can generally you have different centres, you have different courses, and then you can check out for yourself. You know, because you have the method itself, you have the environment of the method, and then you have the people who teach it or the Mm -hmm. community around it. So then you have to see, does this all fit with you or not? Because you'll have some group more religious than others, some group more secular than others. Mm -hmm. So it's what you encounter and what fits. And what you understand. To me, this is one of the things. Does it make sense? Yes. You know, like we have different temperaments. Some people like a more poetic approach. Some people like a more scientific approach. Mm -hmm. Some people like a more practical approach in terms of daily life. So I think it's a little bit what you resonate with. But I would say, Mm -hmm. does it make sense? Can I do it? This is also kind of, you know, can I do what the person is suggesting? You mm-hmm. know, for whatever reason, can I do it or not? And then the other question is, is it helpful? Does it make a difference? Yes. So, like, uh, that at least, I mean, in terms of my, uh, what I would be my objective or my intention, does it help you to be more compassionate, more wise, more calm?
0: hmm
1: because long ago I encountered oh that is this was so long ago like you know 74 in France, I met somebody who had done kind of like one of the pioneer of meditation in France and he was telling me when he first started, which was in the 60s 65 I mean there was so little then known about it and then he was an architect, and he had made a little meditation room, and he would say to everybody in the office, "I'm going to meditate," and everybody would say, "Oh, not again!" Because whenever he went to meditate, he came out very angry. <laughs> Actually, realized maybe I'm not doing this in the proper way. This is not kind of in a way giving a proper result. Suddenly, like what he was doing was more repressing himself. that then after that he was kind of uh, erupted so then he changed and then he kind of like there was more wisdom and compassion and calm so in a way we have to see you know the method suits me and does it help me in the way I think you know I want to be held Mm -hmm. and does it basically reduce harm to myself to others
0: yeah yeah, it's all kind of testing it in for yourself, and and you know that sense of self trust of yeah, does this work for me? Does it make sense for me? And knowing that you can try other, there are there are other methods out there. So if the first one maybe doesn't suit you, go go, you know, don't have to give up straight away, and think meditation's not for you. You know, there might be another method that is is supportive, or yeah, another context. Still-
1: And also it's a question of energy. Yes. Sometimes if people put too much emphasis on sitting and one is a very energetic person, Mm. then actually maybe walking meditation can be better. Yes. One has lots of pain. Actually lying down meditation might be better. So I think also we have to be careful in terms of the posture. Do we do meditation, sitting, lying down, standing or walking? Mm. And also in terms of time, some people like to sit for a long period. I have friends, they like to sit for hours. Mm. And their body and their mind, it works good for them. Other people, more like myself, prefer to sit for shorter period, like 30 minutes personally is a good time for me, and then I can do walking, then I can go back to 30 minutes. So again, we have to be careful of the time thinking, mm-hmm. of- to sit an hour every day. No. I mean, Mm -hmm. 10 minutes, once a day, 15, 10, twice, 10 minutes. And also to see that in a way we meditate formally, like taking the time to sit, to walk, to stand or to lie down for 10, 20, 30 minutes or more, maybe every day. But it's more as a tool. We're cultivating a muscle So that in a way we bring the clarity, we bring Mm. the calmness Mm -hmm. into our daily life. And that's why in a way what is beautiful about the mindfulness uh, that has been developed many different courses, is that you don't need anything special to be Mm -hmm. mindful. And in a way the only thing you need is to remind yourself to be mindful. But also we have to be careful not to use mindfulness as in a kind of like um, always watching ourselves. The idea of mindfulness is more of caring and careful mindfulness so that we can be more in the experience and more experience is changing nature. Mm -hmm. And so in a way to, to, again, you have this wonderful mindfulness But it's not just to accept everything, but it's more, how can I creatively engage? And so cultivating the caring and careful mindfulness and in a way, developing more brightness and calm, which then I can take into my daily life. And also to be careful to think mindfulness is about being focused in a narrow way all the time. It can be useful to be more Mm one-pointed, but actually I think in daily life we can also develop more what I call generalized mindfulness, more like Mm -hmm. wide-open mindfulness. And that also is not just mindfulness we cultivate, but the caring and careful attitude. Yes. In a way, it's as important in daily life to remind ourselves not just to be mindful, but can I be caring and careful in this moment? And then again, this is mm-hmm. one of the beauty of the teaching of the Buddha in term of that is to see that we're not trying to be above conditions, but we're trying to creatively engage with conditions that we find ourselves in. So sometimes we might be tired and that actually we won't meditate because we're too tired. Sometimes we'll be full of energy and then we meditate regularly and everything goes wonderful. And then sometime you're ill, you have gas and you stop. And then you have to be careful that when you want to go back to sitting, for example, regularly, not to go back to where you were before. Mm. Like you were doing 30 minutes before. Maybe just come back to 10 minutes because you might be a little tired, it might take a little time to go back to it regularly. So I think we have to be careful because at times we really do a lot of meditation and it's wonderful. And at times we might not do so much, but it doesn't mean that in daily life, we won't be aware, Mm. be caring and careful. So that's why the other qualities uh, in terms of the practice are so important of loving kindness, compassion, rejoicing, and equanimity. So Mm -hmm. it's not just kind of in a way that we just cultivate focusing and investigation, but also we cultivate ethics, wisdom, meditation, and we also cultivate those qualities. So it's kind of like a whole exploration, but we don't have to do everything all at once. Yes, that's
0: a really great advice for someone with a longer kind of longer practice and and that yeah there's going to be times where kind of the normal practices might might slip away but that doesn't mean that we're not still bringing awareness to our everyday life yeah and and great advice to to start back small if you've let the formal practice go for a while and to maybe just come back with 10 minutes yeah i've you got any other any other advice for For someone who's been meditating for a while and kind of maybe struggling with it. Something's changed, something shifted.
1: I think the one thing we have to be careful about is that at the beginning, when you start to meditate, you will feel at one level better Mm.
0: because there will
1: be more contrast. So at the beginning we think, wow, this is working, this is wonderful, I'm feeling more calm and clear and compassionate. And actually what you notice is more actually the contrast between the way you were before and the way you are now. And so you had lots of wonderful experience, etc. But then the more you practice, the less contrast there will be because you will be maybe calmer, more wise, more compassionate. So they will be less different. And you think, why don't I have this amazing experience? Because it's more there, it's more organic. But then you have to be careful that it's not regardless of circumstances. So we have to see that we cannot have possibly the same enthusiasm, but also at time we might be ill. Or at time, we might not have any free time anymore. or I mean, all kind of things happen, like during the COVID time. Mm. And so for certain, the COVID time might have been a great time to meditate and for other to actually stop meditating, actually. So I think, in a way, it's very much according to circumstances. So sometimes what I think will happen is that you might be Interesting by another method, you might be interested by another teacher, mm-hmm. you might do it in a different way. But I think you have to recognize often people, one of the things they complain about a little is that they've been doing meditation for 10 years
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they still have thought when they meditate. And I would say they still have thought when they meditate because their mind is working, which I think is a good thing. If you want to have no thought, I can give you the recipe. You go for a month in silence, you meditate every day. And by day 28, you have no thought because nothing is going on. But when I said to these people, okay, you still have thought when you meditate. Okay, personally, I think good. Your mind is working. Also, thought are information. Mm. And so we're not trying to have no thought. We are trying to have more clarity about our pattern, mental pattern, emotional pattern, physical pattern, relationship pattern. So I think it's more about that. And so in a way, when we sit in meditation and you have thought or emotion or sensation, this is information. Yes. Can I creatively engage with that? But then when I ask the people, does a meditation makes a difference in your daily life? And they say, oh, yes. It makes a difference in my daily life, at work, in my relationship with myself. So I think in a way, we have to see kind of, you know, what is going on. Like myself, when I was young, 25, I used to sit 10 hours a day cross leg for three months at a time, with not too much difficulty. Nowadays, uh, I can do, I can still do a kind of a seven day retreat on a chair, but mm, my back is not what it used to be. My mind is okay, but my back is not what it used to be. So in a way, I cannot practice in terms of the physical, the biology in the same way than when I was young, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I find I have much more awareness and compassion and clarity in my daily life. So in a way, I think we have to be careful. Like, you know, after you practice for a while, I think in a way it's kind of like, how do I want to develop my practice? Uh, Do I want to learn more about the text? Do I want to practice more compassion? Or do I want to practice more concentration? Uh, In a way, one has to see how have I developed and how what I want to develop more? In a way, over time, we're also going to develop. The meditation is not just one thing which remains the same. It develops as we develop, in terms of our life, in terms of our circumstances.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I could I could listen to uh to your words all day. It's so much so much helpful stuff and so practical, so much practical wisdom. Um. So yeah. I mean I'm, I'm wondering if you are you going to be teaching anywhere over this year is there anything
1: you'd I like mean, to the one thing i would like to recommend because actually yeah because of covid our, yeah. tim- <coughs> our timing has changed mm-hmm. because of brexit i can't uh teach that often in oh. England. so my uh, I i have to have a visa which yeah. means that I plan to come back to teach Gaia House in 2024. But again, we'll have to have mm-hmm. a visa and then I'll have a visa so I can teach three retreats. It's a little complicated. all oh, days. Yeah. Uh, so days. Nowadays, uh, one of the things I do is actually this course with Tricycle. And so recently mm-hmm. I did a course with Laura Bridgman on the Dharma of Relationship. And it's through oh, Tricycle wow. magazine. So mm-hmm. if people are interested, then I would uh, really recommend this course, the Dharma of Relationship, or the way they can look. I actually did a course on uh, how do you feel in terms of a, uh, a course for Tricycle,
0: mm-hmm.
1: feeling tone. on vet- So there is a six weeks, and actually I did it during COVID. <laughs> On my own with a camera uh, and I manage. So yeah, there is a course if people are interested in mindfulness of Vedana, then you have that course on tricycle and you also have the course on um, the Dharma of Relationship on tricycle that you can access anytime. And and they do it in a wonderful way. Tricycle are so professional. It's really interesting how they do their course is really, really special, really special. And then, of course, I am associated with the Body College. So we yeah. finished a secular Dharma course of several uh, over the year, last year. And then we finishing this year the committee Dharma practitioner program. And so next year, what we're going to have is actually four modules that anybody who has practiced for a certain time. Uh, can join, which will be very interesting. And then, 2025 we we'll start again uh committed Dharma practitioner program. So nowadays I will te- be teaching in a way less residential retreat because mm-hmm. of things. But time to time with Body College, uh I can teach a thing there with them.
0: Great. I'll put some links to all of those things in the show notes on the podcast. Um, yeah, I, I highly recommend going and, um, doing some meditation practice with Martine, um, it's just so clear, so helpful. Um, yeah. So thank you so much, Martine. It was an absolute
1: pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much. Keep well and all the best to everyone who listened.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Meditation Inspiration. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd invite you to share it with your friends, family and colleagues so they can benefit from these conversations too and view you would like to leave a review I'd love to hear your feedback or you could pop me a message and I can pass that on to our interviewees too and it also really helps if you pop a rating um, and follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify Um, it really helps to get the podcast found by more people out there. Thanks so much for listening again and see you soon.